Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 21st day of December 2017. My Lance Christmas is almost here. Want to wish everyone out there a Merry Christmas. And uh, today we're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And our guest speaker today is John Dorley. He's a a uh, VA claims agent, and uh, he'll do you a good job, that's for sure. Uh, John, how are you doing today? Uh, hey, I'm good, guys. It's good to be on the show again. I always appreciate uh, uh, talking to you all and, and, and taking any questions that uh, any callers might want to call in with. So, yeah, a lot has been going on, and before the show started, we were talking about a few things that we'll be discussing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, we'll leave it wide open, and, and whatever you guys want to discuss, we can just dive into. Well, by golly, uh, they're making quite a few changes, or trying to, in the VA. Uh, some new, uh, I guess, rules and regs coming out in there, John. Yeah, yeah. Uh, President Trump, in, in this August of 2017, signed into law the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs Appeals and Modernization Act uh, in an attempt to try to get a hold on the, uh, the appeals process throughout the Department of Veterans Affairs as well as the Board of Veterans Appeals. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting on how that all plays out. I know you've had uh, different speakers on the show before giving their opinions on it and uh, I'm I'm optimistically cautious, to be honest with you. I've been doing this since 1992, and and ever since then, the VA has has made an attempt to try to improve the system, and it's only gotten worse. So, um, I don't know how this is all going to shake out. I, I know with this uh, this law that that President Trump wrote in August of 2017, as I mentioned, there's about an 18 month implementation period, which is it's interesting. I, I certainly think there's a there's there's got to be a breaking in period, but 18 months is a long time. So, if any veterans out there listening think their appeals are going to be uh, turned over anytime real soon, it's just not going to happen. But uh, the plan is by February of 2019 uh, to have uh, the entire system overhauled and and this uh, new modernization act uh, implemented. So. It's a ways out, but in the interim, they are going to start sending out letters to, to various veterans of the test group to, to gauge exactly what type of uh, plan they like to go with their appeal, and, and certainly the appeals that are already pending with the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs and the Board of Veterans Appeals 
also known as legacy appeals, uh, we've got to do something with that too. So, and apparently there's a plan for that. So we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, it'll take time, and nothing the BA does ever starts off smoothly. It's going to be a rough, bumpy ride. I, I have a feeling. Let's hope it goes smooth and everything works like uh, like it's predicted. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, just carry on with what you're doing, evidently. Yeah, apparently for for those individuals who aren't familiar with this law, uh, the the VA is looking to implement three different tracks for claimants to to file an appeal. Uh, One track is going to be having a higher level review of the appeal. Much, well, very familiar with that. that We have that in process now. It's called a decision review officer. So um, that's one track. The other track is going to be uh, implementation of, of additional evidence. So if a veteran feels that uh, they have additional evidence they want to present, they can go that track. I should back up a little bit. The, the first track I talked about with the decision review officer, apparently that's basically telling the VA you have no other evidence to submit. Uh, and then as I was talking about the second track, you do have evidence to submit. Of course, there's a third track where, where you basically feel that I don't want the local regional office doing anything with it. I want it to go directly to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, and I have no other evidence to submit. And you can do that as well. And, of course, at the Board of Veterans' Appeals, you still have the option of a hearing, video conference, or, or a traveling board. So so there is always that option. And then, and then to make it even more complicated, uh, as I mentioned earlier, there's the legacy appeals. Uh, those are appeals that are currently in place. So so they have options to try to figure out what they want to do with those as well. So like I said, it'll it'll take a long time for the implementation of this program. Um, I personally haven't had any of my veterans come to me and say I got a letter from the VA concerning this new implementation. I understand there are some letters going out as a test group, but... Uh, I basically tell my clients, when you get that letter, let me know, and we'll we'll react from there. Yeah, that'd be the best thing to do. I would certainly take the cautious road, <laughs> uh, because some of these new programs, they're they do they start off with a bumpy start and. Until you get to learning, the VA's got their own way of thinking, and so does everybody else. And uh, so you want to weigh weigh all the uh, choices you have and weigh weigh them carefully. You know, look at your claim if you feel there's going to be somewhere down the road additional evidence that you're going to come up with and you got to take all that into consideration yep yep you have to be very careful with this new new plan and and certainly any any uh claimants out there that are going to be filing an appeal or have an appeal pending when you get that letter from the va asking you to select the different tracks you want to make sure you you, you select the right one uh, one of the things that uh, uh, a lot of uh, 
individuals who have studied this modernization act aren't too happy about. Uh, apparently, there's a, uh, a situation where when the Board of Veterans' Appeals gets it, uh, there's no duty to assist any longer. Uh, for a little history on the duty to assist, in November of the year 2000, the Veterans Claims Assistance Act uh, created a program where the VA had a duty to assist all claimants with respect to development of their claims. Now, this is still going to be the case, as I understand it, with the local regional offices, but when your claims get to the Board of Veterans' Appeals under this Modernization Act, uh, the Board of Veterans' Appeals will no longer have an obligation to perform a duty to assist. And that can be important because certainly with a duty to assist, uh, one of the laws is that the VA has to uh, absolve all responsibility to try to collect federal government records, whether it's VA medical center records or, or personnel records or, or, or different uh, studies and projects that were done throughout our military history. Uh, so, so those are the types of documents that sometimes it's very difficult for, for the common veteran to lay their hands on or even attorneys or agents, whereas the Board of Veterans' Appeals has the uh, mandate to, to dive into those uh, types of repositories and get them much easier. So the, the unfortunate part about this Modernization Act, as I understand it, uh, is the duty to assist is going to go bye-bye with respect to uh, the Board of Veterans' Appeals. The the advocates uh, the advocates really feel like that that's a small price to pay because overall that's going to uh, streamline the claims process and get claims done a lot sooner than later. Uh, I'm on the fence about it. I think the duty to assist is important with the Board of Veterans Appeals, but I, I just wonder um, if, if giving it up will will create an overall good. So it, it, it remains to be seen how it's all going to shake up. But the bottom line is that. It is what it is. The law has been passed, and we have to play with the cards we're dealt with. Well, that duty to assist, to me, if if veteran loses that, uh, that could really be devastating in some cases. Because mm -hmm. I've seen cases where, my land, it took years to to get the documents out of the VA and uh, does that mean they're no longer going to remand them back to the regional office because they didn't uh, fulfill that duty to assist? That's my understanding. I mean, uh, I mean that's dangerous. What I, what I, what I, what I understand is, is that the Board of Veterans Appeals themselves are no longer obligated to a duty to assist and if they identify uh, the regional office uh, did not follow a duty to assist. Um, you know, that's up in the air as far as whether that's going to be called upon or not. My understanding, and, and again, I, I hate to guess or provide conjecture, but uh, my understanding from what reading it, reading the laws, is that duty to assist is going to be uh, very much liquidated in a lot of cases when it comes to the Board of Veterans Appeals. Now, again, with the regional offices, before it gets to the Board of Veterans Appeals, they are still mandated to the, uh, the duty to assist the Veterans Claims Assistance Act of November of 2000. Uh, my understanding is that that's not going by the wayside, but it's, it's, it looks like it's going by the wayside with this Modernization Act with respect to the Board of Veterans Appeals. 
Yeah, but the regional office determines when to send it on to the Board of Appeals, don't they? Yeah, uh, the regional office uh, has a process where they uh, certify a claim to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, then it's up to the Board of Veterans' Appeals to docket that particular claim, and and that's how the process works. But I, I think, Gerald... Uh, as as this process goes on with this modernization act over the ne- next 18 months, a lot of the questions we have today uh, should be answered as we go. There's going to be a lot of growing pains, and I think that's essentially why the VA is taking baby steps with this, just because of the concerns we're having. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all down the road if if the skills start leaning more towards uh, forcing duty the duty to assist to to compromise all of the Veterans Administration, including the Board of Veterans Appeals. But, but yeah, as I understand it now, uh, the way the law is written today, without any amendments, the duty to assist is, is going to be uh, probably, a, it probably won't be uh, looked at as nearly as, as cohesively with the Board of Veterans Appeals. Well, where you run into trouble with that is if you got a complex claim and uh, like if you're claiming one item or two items or uh, trying to secure service connect and, uh, connection for one or two items, uh, in that regard, uh, probably when you get, get up there to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, you, you'll more than likely have all your your evidence, but uh, in a complex claim, it's uh, difficult to gather all this up, and and uh, that's one of the mistakes about trying to claim a dozen different names at a time. I think, I think what will happen, Gerald, in, in thinking about it more, is that if the Board of Veterans Appeals gets a case and determines that the regional office failed in their duty to assist, that's a clear remand. Uh, but but if if the regional office did did their duty to assist to the best of their ability, and all of a sudden the Board of Veterans Appeals uh, comes across some information that indicates there might be some federal agencies uh, that needs to be delved into, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. So it'll be interesting to see how the Board of Veterans Appeals uh, develops their own duty to assist laws, and, and certainly if, if if they falter on that. I'm sure it'll be tested at the uh, court, the Court of Veterans' Appeals, and ultimately to the uh, uh, the Circuit Court and possibly the U.S. Supreme Court. I, I think the uh, I think the story's yet to be told on that. So this is the type of issue that that uh, can cause a, a massive backlog in different appellate processes. This duty to assist. So yeah. we'll see how it plays out and and and, uh, and react from there. That's the way I look at it. Well, I think it's something that will sort itself out over a period of time. Now, how many veterans are going to suffer from it until it gets to where it should be? I believe you're right. I I think that uh, they'll reach a point where they'll come back and say, look, we have to remand this back. Uh, It's so obvious that the regional office didn't fulfill the duty to assist and uh, 
we're no longer in that business, so we'll ha- we have to send it back. But that was one of the purposes of, of the bill, wasn't it, to keep from sending it back, and and that'll make unless they give the veteran the benefit of the doubt. And and here's what we're going to do because the regional office failed in their duty to assist. We're going to add in credit this veteran. Uh, that could happen. I don't know. Like you yeah, say, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, I, I would hope that uh, it's all possible Board of Veterans Appeals remands would go by the wayside and they just simply uh, rule in favor of the veteran. If the regional office doesn't do their job and the preponderance of the evidence is in favor of the claimant, then uh, why remand it? Just just grant the claim based on uh, CFR 3.102 reasonable doubt. So that yeah. that'll clear a lot uh, of cases. I, I would agree. Yeah, that that'd be more logical uh, with my way of thinking. Because I was talking to someone there at uh, where was it? Uh, uh, appeals management team or some. Anyway, they uh, they told me they'd had as many as uh, veteran veterans having their claims remanded thirteen to fifteen times. Now that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard that uh, many times, but I have had cases that have been remanded two, three times. I. Um, I tend to place the onus on on the part of the uh, the representative or the advocate working with the veteran. Uh, I've always said if you put a really tight claim together, nine times out of ten, you're going to win the claim. If you get multiple remands, I start to wonder, uh, can it all be the fault of the regional office, or is it it the the evidence is not being submitted by the advocate as well? It, It gets to be a little bit tricky. I certainly am not putting the blame on on the the advocate or the veteran, but but uh, the majority of the blame goes towards the regional offices because ultimately that's why a claim is remanded because the the VA regional office did not do their job in some form or fashion. But um, I guess I've always been of the of the opinion that if a veteran and a well qualified advocate uh, put the best possible evidence together, put the tightest claim together. Uh, most of the time you can win that at the regional office. If you don't, uh, then it goes to the Board of Veterans Appeals, and if you have that solid claim, again, nine times out of ten, my experience anyway has been the Board of Veterans Appeals will rule in your favor. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. That, and that's been working like that. It, 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 some claims they're just not able to secure the data or information that's needed to be in support of the claim. And the regional office is not uh, too gun ho about trying to dig it out. You know, my God, you've seen pictures of their files. you got to go through a lot of data, and sometimes files are not where they're supposed to be. And that, that really presents a problem. Yeah, and I know you've personally had that case go on with, with, with your situation as well, Gerald. We've talked about that before. But 
one thing about the regional office is they are mandated to do very specific things when it comes to developing these disability claims. Uh, more often than not, when claims are denied, I peruse through the VA claims file. Uh, I look at compensation and pension examinations, also known as CMP examinations, and oftentimes, if you dissect those compensation exams, uh, the, the, the evidence of record usually is in favor of a veteran, and for whatever reason, sometimes you'll get a, a rating specialist rule against the veteran. So those are the claims that are very easy to turn over. Where it gets a little convoluted is when you have to get new and material evidence together, uh, then you're looking at reasonable doubt, uh, relative equipoise law, uh, a lot of things like that come into play. So uh, it, gets, it gets pretty complicated. But I've, I, I, I've, I've always, and I'll be honest, I've been a proponent of the Board of Veterans' Appeals. I, I've worked with them directly. I did video conferences, uh, traveling board hearings, and more often than not, they see the light. I mean, they get it. They're smart. And if they can grant a claim, they'll usually do it. I just had a case out of uh, Denver, Colorado. Uh, I've been fighting this dependency and indemnity compensation claim for years. And basically for the listeners, what that is is that a widower or a widower files a claim with the Veterans Administration to say that their spouse died due to or as a result of a service-related disability, and therefore they should be entitled to benefits. Well, make a long story short, this widow or husband of about 40-plus years died uh, sooner than he normally would have because of the VA Medical Center. That's called an 1151 claim. Um, we just got the decision the other day, and the Board of Veterans' Appeals granted it based on reasonable doubt. So so she, she is not only vindicated what she, she always knew, but she's going to be about $100,000 richer as well. So those are the feel-good claims that, that I like to uh, like to work. Well, yeah, that's good. That worked out. And there's many widows out there that uh, don't follow through, and they just give it up. And that's a shame when you hear those. Yeah, and the point I was making really wasn't so much to to crow about the claim, but but just to make it clear that if you fight long enough and fight hard enough, uh, and even if you have to uh, get out of the regional office under their thumb, get it to the Board of Veterans Appeals, you'll be waiting longer, but you're going to get a lot fairer decision. Um, I had a number of conversations with this widow, and she just wanted to give up. She wanted to give up. I, I tried to be sensitive to her feelings, but at the same time, I knew she had a case. So uh, to her credit, she let me run with it, and and we won the claim. So, again, the point being is with the Board of Veterans' Appeals, uh, my, my, my opinion is that they do a pretty good job. It, it's those rascals at the regional office that, that can get kind of, uh, difficult. Yeah, and they do have some good ones at the regional offices, but once in a while, if you happen to to get stuck with with one of them that's no good, or they're incompetent, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Uh, that's when you run into real problems. What's kind of nice, Gerald, is is that. Uh, I have a re uh, reputation with the regional offices in this country for the most part, um, and, I, and I've worked with almost every one of them. 
And, and when you get a decision that's denied, we deal with denials all the time, and sometimes they're justified, and sometimes they're not, and you have to appeal to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. But w- when you come up across a case that, that's clearly insufficient with respect to the decision by a rating specialist or a decision review officer, it's kind of nice to be able to call some of the heavy hitters at the particular regional office and say, hey, you know, I, we can appeal this, we can send it to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, we can wait three to four years, or we can look at it now and save everyone a lot of time. So I had a case today. Um, I actually flew the guy in from uh, Buffalo, New York, to see uh, a psychologist down south in Minneapolis-St. Paul who does a really good job on independent medical opinions, expert opinions. And, and the, the medical opinion was very clear uh, that uh, uh, it was an in-person interview. And there are regulations within the Department of Veterans Affairs that there isn't as much probative value with these independent medical opinions if it's done over the phone or by telephone. Uh, well, the, the, the statement of case, which is a decision that comes out after an appeal, uh, basically based their entire uh, denial uh, on the fact that this was a telephone interview, blah, 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 and it, it really wasn't. Uh, like I said, he flew into Minnesota. I actually valeted him down to the uh, doctor. And so I think we're going to get that case turned around. But, but we waited a year, year and a half, uh, for this statement of case only to be denied based on something as, as erroneous as that. Uh, so the point being, again, there, you're right, Gerald, there are, there are good uh, DROs and rating specialists at regional offices, but there, there's a lot, of, a lot of them that aren't very good as all, at all. And the point I was making is, is really I have the opportunity to call uh, uh, appeals supervisors, assistant directors, directors, and they'll take a look at it without having to go through all the formalities. And so that that's kind of nice, and that's what I did with this case. So we'll see what happens on that too. Yeah, that pays off when you're in a position that you can do that. And it does cut out a lot of uh, extra work and time delaying and all that. Uh, so... Uh, and you know when when you look at the statement of the case if it has very much validity or not, uh, and you or if they're asking for some off the wall stuff that don't make sense. Right. right, right. It. Well, what I like to think, Gerald, is that when I get a statement of case, if it's if it's a case that I've not worked with before, and I have to look at a, a file for the first time. Um, I look at some statement of cases and or decisions, and I think to myself, yeah, I would have denied this claim too. One of the ways I win these claims is I put my, my feet in the shoes of a decision review officer and try to get into their head and, and with the rules and regulations and find out exactly why they denied it, and oftentimes I agree with it. So then we go to the next step. How do we change their mind? What kind of new material evidence do we submit? What kind of laws do we present? How do we argue this? Do we go with an informal conference? Do we go with a formal conference? Do we go with, uh, as I mentioned, new material evidence? Uh, so there's, there's a lot of options. Or, you know, in some cases, just a call to the uh, director of the regional office. If, 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 if their decision review officer made a clear and unmistakable error, um, I, I've never had upper management not thank me for bringing it to their attention first. Last thing they want to see is a remand. The regional office. Oh, gets well, I would agree. That's, that's, yeah, 
it's like a tick mark against them. They don't want to see remands because if the BVA remands a claim to the regional office, it's like a tick mark against them because they did not do their job in some form or fashion. Well, yeah, it would affect their bonus program <laughs> overall, I would think. Yeah, anytime you put put your hand in their pocket, I mean, they, uh, they yeah. get uh, a little bit excited about it, and I don't blame them. So, um, no, I, I I think maybe we we, we talked enough about the Appeals Modernization Act. Uh, um, we can talk about other things too, but I think that's just one of the heavy hitting things that's that's going on in the veterans community at this point in time. Um, if anyone wants to call in. Uh, if they're listening live yeah. now, uh, that yeah, would be great. Yeah, let me give out our call-in number. If anyone has a question or comment, our call-in number is 347-237-4819. Now, that call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819. And then uh, uh, when prompted, you can hit number one, and that'll put you right in the queue with us. And when we see you there, we'll 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 try to get you on the air here. So, uh, yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, there was something else uh, that they're done. It, it seems like. Uh, they're talking about this new secretary, VA secretary, uh, possibly leaving, going to another job. Uh, uh, H&H, uh, Human Health and Services or something. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's going to be true or not. Huh? DHS. DHS. Um didn't uh, the president fire that guy that was uh, over that? Because didn't he go to the HUD secretary? Wouldn't he taking some lavish trips or something and spend a good money? Yeah, all that's, kind of that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure enough. Yeah. Uh, but then they found well, out uh, that the BA secretary was doing the same thing. I guess him yeah. and his wife took a big wingding trip. I don't know. I. I guess what I had heard, guys, is, is Secretary Shulkin uh, was rumored to be interested in that position, and and uh, I guess they filled the position and, and uh, come out later he was never interested. I don't know, but but as far as I understand, that position's been filled, or, or if it's going to be filled, it's not going to be. Uh, cons- Secretary Shulkin is not going to be under consideration for that. So. As far as I understand it, Secretary Shulkin is our Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs now and for the immediate future. Yeah, it's going to stay that way. I know one thing, Gerald and, and John, I don't know if you, you're probably familiar with it. I, I, I know there was a court law that, that's uh, become very popular lately uh, named Mitchell versus Shinseki. And, and basically, in, in layman's terms, uh, for, for a very long time, compensation and pension examinations, when a veteran shows up for it, uh, they may not be exhibiting the symptomology that they normally would upon flare-ups. And that's the key word, quote-unquote, flare-ups. So so what mm-hmm. Mitchell V. Shinseki basically states is that 
a veteran can go in for a compensation exam. Let's say they have a bad knee, um, and, and they're having some pain with the knee, but the range of motion in general is pretty good. So, so they may rate the knee at 10% based on another law called DeLuca versus Brown. It basically states as yeah, there's objective evidence of yeah DeLuca v Brown. It basically states if there is pain involving a particular joint and it's objectively medically cognizant, they will grant at 10% regardless of the range of motion. But but now under this Mitchell v. Shinseki, uh, the, the compensation examiner is tasked to determine if this is the type of disability that upon flare-ups would create a disability affecting the range of motion uh, needed that could grant a higher level. And the law says 20% would be appropriate if, if in fact, there's range of motion issues, fatigue, uh, instability, irritability with a particular joint uh, under this Mitchell law. So that, that's been very interesting. So I, I guess I would just get that out there to all veterans that are listening. If you're rated 10% for a particular joint uh, under DeLuca v. Brown uh, pain uh, and, 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 it, and that you can develop flare-ups, where it's the, the, the issue is a lot worse than it normally is, especially if you were to show up at a compensation exam and happen to be just a good day, you want to reopen that claim for upgrade based on Mitchell v. Shinseki. Get at least a 20% rating out of that. Oh, that could be real helpful to a lot of veterans. Yeah, there, there's thousands of veterans out there sitting at 10% for a particular joint and only got the 10% based on... Uh, uh, the DeLuca, the DeLuca v. Brown law, um, and I think that, and the VA is not co- going to come knocking on your door asking you to upgrade. You're going to have to initiate that on your own. So, so uh, you know, feel free to contact your your national service officer, your county veteran service officer. If you have an agent such as myself, call that person, call your attorney, or initiate action on your own with the VA. I I, I always tell veterans get. Get an agent, get an attorney, or get some sort of uh, advocate on your behalf. Uh, they'll be more than happy to look into it. I know I would. If someone wants to call me and they're currently rated for that disability at only 10%, I'm not talking just the knee. I'm talking hip, knee, ankle, wrist, shoulder, any joints, the back. Uh, they're all subject to a higher level to 20% based on uh, the largest quoted the Mitchell versus Shinseki. Now, will they go back to the original date that they uh, signed them the uh, or awarded them the ten percent? Uh, or not do they start? Gerald. Oh, okay. Yeah, unless unless there's a, there's a law called liberalizing legislation. So if if you have a new law that's come into effect uh, uh-huh. and, and you meet the requirements of a higher level. Uh, I have argued where the VA would have to go one year retroactively from the data claim based on liberalizing legislation. Uh, but the, the, the Mitchell uh, v. Shinseki has been in place for a while. It's, it's only uh, recently that it was tweaked to the point where it, it's covering the compensation exams. So uh, I think certainly uh, date of claim at least uh, but you always want to keep in mind the, uh, the law of liberalizing legislation that that uh, could allow for a one-year retroactive award. Well, that's still helpful to some, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, another another topic I, I thought I'd talk about, uh, which is becoming very clear, um, and, and the VA didn't really bend over backwards to, to advertise it as this national work queue. Um, what I've learned is, is, and it's been going on for, for a little while anyway, is that any claims that aren't in appeal goes into what's called a national work queue. And so basically what that means, which has not always been the case, but if, if you initiate a claim in St. Paul, Minnesota, in the old days, the St. Paul VA regional office would handle that original claim. But now, under the national work queue, it could be a regional office anywhere in the country. So, so I guess the point I'm making is, is that when you have claims that are being worked at a particular regional office, don't always point the finger at that regional office because you don't know which regional office is, is, is doing it. Like I said, it, 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 you could be living in St. Paul, Minnesota, but your claim could be worked out of Atlanta, Georgia, and vice versa. Where, where it gets interesting is with the appeals backlog, and now we're back to the appeals issue, the legacy appeals, the appeals that are already pending. In, in the day, uh, there was some talk about entering those things into the national work queue so that you could have a, a backlog of uh, legacy appeals at the Houston VA regional office, which is currently about five years behind, and, and you could have a, an appeals backlog at the Lincoln, Nebraska regional office that's 13, 14 months behind. So what you could do is, is you could enter those into the national work queue, or at least that was the, the idea is to work those into the national work queue so that uh, all regional offices are working on the same level. That's not currently the case, and, and it's something that I think should change. I think that appeals that are currently legacy appeals, and when I say legacy, I'm talking about appeals that are currently pending, uh, they should be put on the national work queue. Why should, just because you happen to live in the Houston VA regional area, have to wait five years for an original appeal to be decided, as opposed to if you're lucky enough to live in, like I said, Lincoln, Nebraska, they're only like 18 months out. It should be all even. should be all fair to everyone. shouldn't be based on geographical living locations. That's my thought anyway. Well, that's the reason they started uh, shipping these uh, uh, claims folders from one B one regional office to another, isn't it, to equal out the uh, uh, the numbers? Yeah, they try to do brokering. That's what you're talking about, Gerald, is, yeah. is brokering to your sister regional office. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm in Minnesota, and so I'm familiar with the St. Paul VA regional office. I know at one point in time the Denver VA regional office uh, was, was their sister site for brokering claims. So, if, if St. Paul was overburdened and, and they had a regional office like Denver that wasn't as overburdened, uh, you could shift claims to that regional office and, and you would basically, the, the regional office in St. Paul would have to share some of their budget uh, money with the Denver VA regional office. I mean, they actually took payment to, to do those claims. Uh, so there, there has been brokering in the past my understanding in, in talking with uh, uh, some of the heavy hitters with these uh, uh, different higher level management levels with the regional offices and the Board of Veterans Appeals is that until they get a better clarification on the national work queue, what it's going to do, uh, 
and with these these appeals modernization act uh i'm being told they're not brokering anymore which is unfortunate i i talked about houston earlier i got a case in houston now that i, I took over um it's been five years since this, this uh, female veteran filed her appeal. And, and I, I fought like hell to try to say, hey, broker it out. We don't care what regional offices send it to. Just broker it out of Houston. Houston's not all that liberal anyway, so I, I, you know, I'm not too unhappy to have it out of Houston anyway. But waiting as long as she has, and they just won't do it. They, they can't. Their hands are tied right now. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate. But you're right, Gerald. It, in the past, in the day, they could broker claims back and forth, but but uh, uh, I'm being told that's not being done anymore. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, see, they make these changes, and a lot of people are not aware of them. Or, uh, you know, they change one way, and then they change back. My lands, I've seen them change forms from... Uh, be the same number, form number, only you'd have an A, and they needed the B, because A's no longer any good. <laughs> and uh, so it it just, it's, it's nearly impossible to keep up with, especially for, it's, you know, a lay person, a regular veteran, unless he's trained in it, uh, you know, and you do it daily, where it's kind of halfway fresh in your mind. Say, oh, I remember that. Yeah, they did something. You know where to look it up and see what the rules are again. It's um, it's difficult to keep up with, and, and everything I'm reporting is is, as far as I can tell, it's factual. I, I try to read up as much as I can. I, I try to talk to individuals within the Veterans Administration. I'm talking about people who are high up, upper management, uh, the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs and their staff. So what I'm regurgitating back to you, uh, the radio show, and, and the people listening are what I'm hearing. Now, maybe that has changed since I last heard from them. Maybe it will change in the future. Maybe tomorrow they will start brokering claims again. Uh, maybe the Appeals Modernization Act is is going to get tweaked. The only thing we can do, at least from my advocacy perspective, is, is react to the way the laws are written today. And as the laws change, uh, changing with them, basically, and giving yeah, my clients the best... To- to conform to the new new regulations, and uh, if you're in a position and lucky enough that you're made aware of these new uh, new changes, then you can change with them or uh, school yourself on them so you can be adequate in dealing with them. Uh, otherwise, if you don't know it, you you go in with old old uh procedures and uh find out in six months or a year you should have used the new <laughs> yeah yeah and, and what's what's interesting Gerald, is is that as I work with these different regional offices and I talk to different people uh, decision review officers appeals coaches 
of people who work in the trenches and, and are in the know, you start to develop an understanding of, of some of these individuals who really know their stuff. I mean, there are some very sharp, uh, committed uh, VA officials out there. And, and I take note of that. And, and one of the things I ask them when we're talking mm-hmm. about claims, they said, you know, can I use you in the future? If I have a question, I need to bounce, you off, bounce off someone, and I consider you, you to be very knowledgeable. And they're more than happy to do that. I mean, I've got a list of different decision review officers throughout the country that uh, I can call, um, and they'll get back with me and say, you know, this is what I've heard. What, what's your opinion on it? So, um, you know, advocacy 101 with me is, is being open to uh, listening to the people you're trying to get benefits out of, too. Occasionally, That's they right. teach me yeah. something. Yeah, I mean, occasionally they teach me something I didn't know. Like, wow. So, I mean, opening your mind to, to, to everything is, is, is very important. Uh, as an advocate, I never try to say I know it all. It's my way or the highway. I always keep my, my mind open for different laws, rules, and regulations that come out. And, and occasionally I see something that's like, wow, interesting, and I didn't know that. So um, I've always said to my, my clients, 99% of it I'm going to know off the top of my head. The other 1% I'm going to be able to find in a book or I'm going to be able to call certain individuals to find out for sure. I mean, that, that, that's the way I've always felt about uh, advocating for my clients. Well, it's a lot of research. Just stay up to date on the different changes. Uh, I can certainly realize that. Have you found that you get uh, sometimes one regional office is not up to snuff with the new changes where uh, they should be? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and and what, what's frustrating, really, Daryl, is, is as I was talking about earlier, this national work queue. Before they had, before they had the national work queue, when you had cases that were not in appeals yet, you got a pretty good feel for the different regional office that were up to snuff or not up to snuff. With this national work queue, um, for instance, I, I had a case, uh, veterans out of Seattle, Washington, and uh, I had had a few issues with the Seattle VA regional office before. But, but they, they, they boogered up this one case so bad, and it happened to be out of Seattle again. It just reemphasized my mind, oh, my God, this regional office, what am I going to do with them? Come to find out it was in the national work queue. This case wasn't even buggered up by Seattle. It was buggered up by Indianapolis, which made a lot of sense because I've, I've had a number of issues out of the Indianapolis regional office as well. I'm not picking on these regional offices. I, I, I'm just calling a spade a spade here. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a caller is, here, uh, uh, John. Let me see if I can get him yep. get him in the queue. Uh, caller, you have a question or a comment? Three oh three area code. Yes. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Go yes, ahead. I was calling in. Uh, this is Ron from Ohio. And actually, uh, John is my representative. Oh, oh hey, Rod. yeah, good. Ron Denver. Yeah, lis- yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm lis- listening to the show and always of interest to me. But 
you were talking about the uh, regional offices, and you know my past. I, I, I filed a claim back in 2007 mm-hmm. and uh, went all the way to uh, Washington and had it reviewed. And, of course, now I'm in remands, uh, which mm-hmm. doesn't surprise anyone on the show, I know. But hearing the discussion about uh, the regional offices, John, and and I think we've had this discussion before, but I'm not sure if this is new, what you're talking about tonight with the other regional offices actually reviewing these claims. Um, And and you know my experience with the Cleveland regional office has not been good. Mm -hmm. Uh, is Is it possible to request a change of venue? Uh, the simple answer is no. I can go into detail on that. I know in your case, Ron, uh, and I won't get into too many specifics since we're on a national radio sh- radio show, but uh, your your case has been remanded since it's on appeal. It will stay at the uh, Cleveland VA regional office as opposed to those new claims we filed earlier, which, which were successful. Um, they could have been through a national work queue at any point in the country. Um, but in answer to your question, yeah, it, it, in, a, in a perfect world, it, it would be nice because as advocates, attorneys, agents, national service officers, county veteran service officers, we get a good feel for the different regional offices that, that do the best job. Um, and so if it was a situation where we could say we want our case to go to uh, VA regional office A and B but not uh, C, D, and E, uh, that would inundate and, and over over inflate those particular regional offices, and they wouldn't be able to handle it. So, what they try to do is, is in the day, they they keep every case at that regional office of the geographical area. But but as I talked about earlier, with the national work queue, um, they're trying to spread it all over the place. So, and and I can't even tell you for sure, Ron, if those new claims we filed were adjudicated out of Cleveland. Uh, the VA does not advertise that. All I know is we want them, that's for sure. So that's a good thing. Right. Um, that was but, my next uh, question, if you knew if they were uh, sent away from Cleveland or not. You did a wonderful job on that for me, John. I appreciate all the help that you've given. And I, I have to welcome. tell you, you know, fighting fighting my own personal claim and doing it for 10 years, at one point I did hire a representative who unfortunately just dropped the ball and I had to let him go, and it, and it put me in a, and it was at a key spot in my uh, appeals process. So I had to go it alone. I didn't feel I could bring in a new representative at that point and get him up to speed. You know, when I was heading off to Washington, so my wife and I went there and did it, did it ourselves, and uh, we did get a remand, and that's where I got the referral to John. So John stepped in at that point assisting me now with the remand and did a wonderful job. He's identified some other things that uh, he felt I I should pursue, and uh, we we did that, and we won that part of it already. So I wish I'd have had you 10 years ago on my claim. I think it would have been uh, a completely different outcome. It's... uh... No, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I'm just glad I could step in when I did, and and uh, um, got my fingers crossed to win your remand for you too. Yeah, 
Well, I appreciate all the help and uh, to any veteran out there listening, uh, John Dorley certainly has my endorsement as someone that uh, they'd want to consult with and hire as their representative. You do a wonderful job. Thanks, Ron. You have a good night, too. Yeah, and you, John didn't know I was calling tonight, but I did want to step in with a question or two and an endorsement. So there's, so you guys have a good holiday, and thanks for all that you do. Thanks, Ron. Well, thanks for calling in, Ron. We really appreciate it. Call back all anytime. Right. Thank you. Uh, that's great. That's great to hear. Uh, John, you want to give out our... Uh, uh, give out your uh, contact information here real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyone can contact me directly by phone or email. My telephone number is uh, Minnesota Area Code uh, 651-303-3062. That's 651-303-3062. Or if you prefer to email me, email is benefitsagent at comcast.net. I'll spell that. It's benefits, B-E-N-E-F-I-T-S, agent, A-G-E-N-T, at comcast.net. So, folks, if you're looking for a good uh, uh, veterans advocate here and uh, claims agent, by golly, give John a contact there. Give him a, a call, and he'll certainly steer you in the right direction. I'll do my uh, best. Um, you know, <laughs> what I like to do is is do a, a telephone consultation. Uh, there's a series of questions I like to go through with a veteran and and find out exactly where the claims have been, where they're at now, and where they can go. And uh, at that point in time, um, I would do an executive review of the file. Typically, it's very helpful if the veteran has uh, copies of their VA claims file. Um, if they don't, don't feel like you have to get your VA claims file. That's, that's something I've always said. A lot of advocates out there say, I won't even touch it until I see a VA claims file. Most of the time, I'm going to be able to put that puzzle together. I don't necessarily need the VA claims file. What helps me is if I have past decisions, ratings, approvals, denial, statement of cases, supplemental statement of cases, BVA decisions. It helps if I have service medical records. I like to have the DD-214. I encourage every veteran who has a claim pending to enroll into eBenefits. Uh, it's an Internet website. Uh, if, you, if you Google eBenefits, you can enroll. I like to get into the eBenefits account. It gives me a lot of information. It tells me what disabilities are rated, what, what have been denied, what the current level is, um, any past uh, decisions that were made, and what the deadline is on the appeal, those types of things. So get enrolled into eBenefits.gov. It's www.ebenefits.gov uh, because that's, that's one of the things that uh, prospective clients I like to have. Good deal. Uh, what do you think, John? Is the VA a, a effort to actually work with the veterans? You know, we have a lot of veterans uh, 
committing suicide, which is not good. I hate to hear every time I I see one. We've had a lot of them commit suicide right on the VA medical facility parking lots. Mm-hmm. It it's a sad scenario. Uh, do you work with a lot of veterans that have PTSD? Absolutely. Um, I I've been working with veterans since 1992, and uh, um, and that's 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 when Desert Storm Desert Shield was was just winding up, and and it wasn't too much longer after that when we got embroiled with Afghanistan and Iraq and. And of course, uh, a lot of my clients, uh, beginning of my career, I dealt with a lot of Vietnam veterans, Korean War veterans, World War II veterans. So, um, yeah, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, those types of disabilities. Uh, I, I've got quite a bit of experience dealing with that. Not only secondary to stress <coughs> instances on active duty whether it's combat experience or military sexual trauma, personal assault, um, but also uh, uh, psychosis that are secondary to their service-connected disabilities. I've got veterans who haven't seen uh, any combat, who, who didn't suffer any type of psychosis on active duty, but, but they're severely depressed or have severe anxiety due to uh, their bad back, their musculoskeletal conditions, uh, maybe they have cancer that's secondary to Agent Orange, you know, 30, 40, 50 years after the fact, and and they have deep depression because of that. So not to get too far off the topic, Gerald, um, but I think what you were more specifically talking about was PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and veterans committing suicide. So, yeah, I've, I've got experience with that. Um, I, I'm happy to say no veteran has committed suicide under my watch and that's not to say that I did anything right or wrong I, I just feel like I'm very in tune to that and, and, and I always try to make sure my clients have all the available uh, possibilities to get health care, mental health care for that I know I was reading an article where they're, they're trying these hyperbaric uh, chambers now O2 chambers uh, and uh, from what I'm reading, they're getting some uh, satisfactory results. I think I had a, uh, a veteran on here on oh my lands. I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, maybe longer, uh, uh, that uh, he was working with a guy that uh, had invented these or something. Uh, anyway, he came on the show and talked about them, I believe. Uh, I can't remember. Well, it seemed like his name was Mike Davis, I believe. But anyway, I see now that the BA is actually put these into use, and let's hope they, they get some ben- good benefit out of them. I'm sure yeah, I can. I think, I think the VA is trying to VA medical centers are trying to think outside of the box. Um, I know uh, hyperbaric chambers have been looked at as far as uh, alleviating PTSD symptomology. I know medicinal marijuana has been uh, talked about uh, and and possibly being implemented into the VA medical center. Currently, it's not. Um, 
but on the other hand, um, they're very aware of the opiate crisis as well. So um, I've got a number of veterans who uh, are having a, a very hard time getting prescriptions for opiates, whether it's Percocet or or uh, other types of you know, Vicodin, stuff like that, uh, some of the more powerful drugs. Uh, the VA is very, very concerned about issuing those types of drugs in mass quantities. Uh, so... Um, yeah, I, I think there's other options, certainly for PTSD, rather than drugging uh, veterans with different psychotropic medications, hyperbaric chambers, medicinal marijuana, uh, those types of things should be looked at, acupuncture maybe. I don't know. I, I, it'd be interesting to have a, a guest on a, on the show maybe that's suffering from PTSD who has a good knowledge of how the VA Medical Center is handling these things. Uh, I don't have PTSD, thank God, but... Uh, listening to veterans for the past 26 years who do have it. Uh, I like to think I have a pretty good understanding of, of what's going on there. Yes. Uh, you can usually tell when you're talking to them. I think it's a lot of it is brain damage, whether no matter how it occurred, you know, uh, right. it, 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 it back Instead of a, I think they're trying to treat a psychological issue for possibly a medical. It could be uh, in some cases. I think there's so many different stages of PTSD, and they haven't accurately learned how to how to grade them, put them in certain categories. Uh, uh, there's some that's uh, severe. And plumb to to mild, you know, and uh, when you get into some severe cases, I think it's probably if they, in the end, ultimately they'll determine that it's possibly a physical disorder. Uh, they've got lesions in their brain or or something, you know. Uh, they uh, they they have the ability to do different testing nowadays. Uh, there's a thing called neuroquant testing on the brain that actually is able to identify lesions, um, and typically that falls into traumatic brain injury, blast explosions, uh-huh. uh, falls, stuff like that. So they're able to 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 actually physically do a scan of the brain under a neuroquant uh, and, and find out. Okay, here's a lesion. Here's a lesion. Therefore we diagnose TBI, whereas now, it, it, without doing the neuroquant or some sort of scan, it, it's pretty much uh, up to the uh, specialist, the physicist, or whoever's doing the actual uh, testing for the uh, TBI to to say whether this is a TBI or, or it's not a TBI. Well, uh, they are working on it, so let's hope... Uh... You know, when they come along and cut these opium uh, medications off this cold turkey on a lot of veterans, that that put a lot of them in a world of hurt. Uh, I don't know why they didn't use a weaning process of some sort. Well, if if they're addicted and they're not weaned off, that's trouble. Um, That's trouble, yes, it is. Yeah, it's trouble, so... No, I, I uh, 
you know, as I said, I, I, I am an advocate. I'm, I'm accredited with the Office of General Counsel as an appeals agent, and I'm more than happy to, to, to have anyone call me. Um, I gave out my number and email earlier, so feel free to, to call me or email me, and I'll be more than happy to talk about your case or answer any questions that you might have. Do you see any new issues cropping up here among veterans? Uh, you know, we did a show here a while back on liver flukes, <laughs> and that's on the mm-hmm. Vietnam veterans, and uh, or uh, I would say the Asian, any anyone in Thailand and uh, probably any. Uh, the Asian groups over their uh, countries, the Cambodian, all them. But uh, yeah. ha- have you seen any issues on that? I haven't had any personal experience on it. I haven't had any cases uh, where I've actually adjudicated or developed these types of claims. I am familiar with the, the what you're talking about, though, Gerald. Uh, I, I, I have read a few articles on on uh, uh, those types of disabilities in, in countries like Vietnam and and other uh, Middle Eastern countries, excuse me, uh, uh, Southeast Asia countries, that uh, um, these these parasites uh, are systemic to that part of the country, and uh, they they get into the system and and they they stay there for many 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 years, and and they may never come out. But, but what we're finding is a lot of veterans who serve in those parts of the world are coming with these types of, of flukes that are attacking the liver. And, and they're starting to come to re- realization that these are uh, uh, endemic to these types of countries, Southeast Asia, uh, those types of areas. So, uh, no, I, I'm certainly keeping your mind out for it. Uh, and and uh, if, if any of the, those types of cases come across my desk, I'm certainly going to develop it as best I can. I don't believe the VA's made it a presumptive yet. I know that uh, uh, someone was working on that, trying to get it to be a presumptive. Uh, Of course, the VA's a pretty hard nose about making anything presumptive. uh, No, I haven't uh, heard that as a presumptive. I I think that would be a number of of years off. I think uh, if there's to be any presumptives to Agent Orange, it's probably going to be the ones that they're looking at more closely. Like uh, I've heard hypertension bandied around. I've heard gallbladder disease, uh, those types Uh of things. Um, So, um, yeah, I I expect there to be... Go ahead. One bad note about that is that when it becomes asymptomatic and it shows its ugly self, it's usually in the form of uh, end-stage cancer. So they don't have the accurate testing just to test that. You know, unless you test all the vets that strength the water, you know, in the the east over there, far east. You know, because once you get diagnosed, it's too late. So it goes into your bile ducts and hits your liver, you're done. And in those cases, John, we... We ask them to be expedited. We run them through. I've, I've got contacts out of the VA that would run them through really quick. Uh, and this is all assuming, let's say it was presumptive, we could get it done real quick. If it wasn't presumptive, we could still get it done real quick if we had a good nexus letter from a doctor. And, 
in, in those unfortunate circumstances where the veteran passes away. If that veteran is married, then, then the, the spouse couldn't be uh, accepted as a substitute for the claim. If there's no spouse, then, then unfortunately there's the claim's going to die yeah. with, with the veteran. It's kind of a bad consolation prize, isn't it? Yeah. 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 We've been down that road before. What happened with John? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. I think hypertension will probably hit the books here in the first part of next year. That's going to open up a can of worms that, uh, uh, I mean, think of all the residuals that come along with hypertension. Uh, Heart disease, (laughs) stroke, heart disease, stroke, and all the residuals to the heart disease and stroke. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's something that is going to... uh, Open up a, a lot of different claims for veterans. Just well, the residuals with holes veterans. in it. Yeah. Well, um, good. How many IU vets do you have, John? How many IU vets do I have? Yeah. Uh, TDIU, total disability, individual, and employability. I've got a good share. I, I don't keep statistics, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, um, I've got a good, good large chunk of uh, individual unemployability uh, claims that I work on on a regular basis. Yep. Yeah. You probably fixed to have a major league fight on your hands, buddy, with this new with this new uh, stuff coming down the pike. I, want, I wondered if that might get up, brought up today. Um, I know Gerald and I talked about that a little bit. What, what I did read on that, John, is uh, – what they're looking at going after is the extra scheduler allowance uh, when it comes to TDIU, and, and we could spend a good half hour talking about scheduler allowance and extra scheduler. But in, in my experience, John, the majority of the clients I've dealt with re- with respect to TDIU are already schedulerly uh, considered, meaning they have at least one sixty percent disability or a combination of disabilities up to 70% with at least one being a 40%. So we don't have to worry about that extra scheduler. Um, When we're talking about extra scheduler, we're talking about the VA uh, looking at an unemployability claim in a different light. They don't meet the scheduler requirements. They have the authority to uh, refer the case to Director uh, Cop and Pension in in Washington, D.C., to to consider for extra scheduler. And, and those claims are very, very difficult to win. Not impossible, but very difficult to win as it is. Now it sounds like, John, they're, they're making it even more difficult possibly. But I don't like it, but, but i got to ask myself as an advocate, what can I do to get this veteran's claim scheduler? I don't have to worry about the extra scheduler then. I mean, there's always something we can do as advocates to tweak it. So we don't have to worry about the extra scheduler. That that that's my thought on it. I'm not giving up on on the law that they're trying to change with extra scheduler. But uh, um, to me, it's there's more than one way to skin a cat. Let's get the guy a scheduler. Not have to worry about the extra scheduler. And and I know guys listening to that, and there's probably a lot of people out there listening to it on the radio. They're like, what is he talking about scheduler, extra scheduler? So. It, it gets a little bit detailed and legally, so I don't, I don't mean to confuse the issue, but I think that um, as a rule of thumb, I think if there's any listeners out there have any questions about total disability, individual unemployability, 
also known as TDIU or IU, um, you know, give me a call. It's basically a program that, that pays the veteran at the 100% disability rate when it's factually ascertainable that they can't work at anything substantial and gainful because of their service-connected disabilities. Yeah, but wasn't they also trying to mix this in with uh, uh, Social Security when a uh, veteran reached the age 65 or or uh, become uh, a, uh, you know able to draw Social Security? Yeah, they were, and then they got quashed. If, yeah, if you recall, I suppose seven, eight months ago, or maybe a year ago, uh, President Trump and Secretary Shulkin had proposed to uh, uh, limit uh, the benefit of, of total disability individual unemployability when you became eligible for Social Security. The, veteran, the veterans agencies came out and force on that, and and our government got the message on that really quick, and 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 President Trump and Secretary Shulkin uh, eliminated that section. Now, that's not to say the embers aren't still burning on that, but if if uh, you know if if, if they want to go after the extra scheduler, uh, I'm not saying we don't fight it, but I think that's a small price to pay if they keep their mitts off what you just talked about, eliminating TDIU once veterans became Social Security eligible. That would affect a lot of veterans. With the extra scheduler, oh. it's not going to affect that many. And, and, and for those that are affected, you should be trying to get yourself scheduler allowance on, under TDIU. And there's always something that you can do to tweak it. There's always something an advocate, you roll up your sleeves, you can, you can, get, you can get it raised. You can no, get secondary that. claims rated. The new law coming out, man. Yeah, we're debating the new law. So they're going to but anyway, anything else on your guys' mind? Anything I can answer for you, clarify? Try? Uh, yeah. Uh, are you free for Christmas? Am I free for Christmas? Uh, yeah, you not. got a big Christmas dinner planned. Oh, <laughs> you're asking if I was free for Christmas. I figured you were going to have me on a show. I'm like, no, I don't think I can do a show on Christmas. Um, I, I've got my kids, and we're going to enjoy Christmas together and uh, open presents and, uh, you know, put on uh, the Christmas story on, on the television, which we do every year, and let it loop for about five or six hours and <laughs> and go from there. No, TBS. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas story. I have, I'm gonna have watched that. Girl, girl did not if he. Girl never watched it. John, what's that? Girls never watched Christmas story. Oh, you haven't heard of that? Well, that's that. that <laughs> no. Oh yeah. I mean, you got to. I I, I I I I quote almost every phrase from that from that movie. My kids just look at me You're looking crazy. Your but, eye. Uh, you try it out, kid. <laughs> Red Rider BB gun. First I heard this. Red Rider BB gun. I heard this year they're changing. I heard this year they're changing the uh, objective. He's going for an AR-15. <laughs> oh, that's what I heard too. Fully automatic, no semi-automatic, just fully automatic. Take those guys out in the backyard. Take out the bumpuses, dogs, and all that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's gotta be so. something. 
Well, that's what you should do, yeah, Gerald. Yeah. Put in the Christmas story. Watch the Christmas Oof. story. Watch it tonight. Well, I've seen it uh, in my movie selection, and right. I've never heard about it till John mentioned it. Or I figured yeah. it was on uh, Christmas Eve at 8 p.m. on TBS and runs for 24 hours. Yep. Yeah. Yep, fragile. Just remember that word, fragile. <laughs> For you, <laughs> you got to get yourself that that light leg, leg lamp too. The leg lamp that they have in the movie, the leg <laughs> lamp. Would you look yeah, at that rocket leg lamp? It's a major award. <laughs> yeah, it's a major award. Yeah, right. I tell you, man, that's, that movie's made in '83, so it shows you how old we are now, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, anything else? Anything else you want to check? Now that's it for today, buddy. All right. We went overtime this time. Hey, it's good to talk to you again and have me on any time. Okay. Thanks for coming on, John. We really appreciate it. And you gave out some really good information today. This is just, well, uh, you know, all you veterans out there, try to stay up to date on what's going on around you because... My land things change fast. Right, right. And and also uh I think it's important to uh uh push your, your website as well. Uh www.hadit.com, H-A-D-I-T dot com. It, it's a great website. Um and and the folks that run that are very knowledgeable and very helpful and there's a, a good handful of, of regular visitors on that website that give out some good information as well. So you can you can help yourself quite a bit by getting involved with that website. Oh absolutely. Uh yeah, they have some excellent moderators and uh yep. Bird uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, my lands, I think she wrote the book on all this stuff. <laughs> we, we, which, by the way, I haven't heard from her lately. Maybe she's listening, and maybe next time she can call in. Well, that's good. I, well, we had her on here, uh, what, a week or so ago, wasn't it, John? Okay. Probably. Two. I haven't heard her. <laughs> yeah, uh, was it that long? Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's on two weeks in a row. Yeah, uh, it was a good show, too. Uh, we do a show with Berta every year because she's she's experienced and she knows how to handle the end of life stuff for veterans, knowing how to get the DIC and stuff like that, and the claim filed and the substitution and all yeah. that stuff. She's expert at it, so we get together yep. to make a folder for the you know death folder. So it, it's a gruesome show, but I mean, it has to be done. You're right. You're right. Um, not everything not, not everything is a happy ending for for a lot of these things. But no. we've got people to to pick up the ball and run with it. But no, again, I appreciate it, guys. And and uh, I guess I'll let you go. And and uh, and I'll probably talk to you again. And next time I'm on in a month or two. Well, that's good. We might want you on before then. Okay. You got anything planned for New Year's? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I probably do. I probably do. Tell you what, I'll come on anytime you want. I can make time. I can make time. Okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot. All right, guys. 
Take care. You have a great evening. Thanks, John. And right. Merry Bye. Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye. Well, John, that was a really good show. Of course. He always brings the best. Yeah. Uh, we got some good information there. It'll be yep. a great show for the archives. And, uh, yeah. So, I think I want to do a loop on Christmas Day and play a bunch of them. That'd be nice. Yeah. We'll have our own version of Christmas Story. Yeah, uh, that'd be. I think it'd be good to run a bunch of these. Yeah. We could do the history of had it. Uh, T Bird done several good shows with us on had it, and, and uh, run in some some of our other shows. And just mix them up a bit. You get get tired of watching Ralphie and listen to Gerald. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'd make a good Christmas Day deal. Uh, well, I don't know what else to do here. Unless you want to sing them a song. No, then that'd run the listeners off and we'll do that. Well. All the dogs start howling in the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, and get the birds chirping. It'd be baby ugly. Maybe we'll be shooting at for long when before that starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway it was a good show and we appreciate John Dordley coming on for sure. We mm-hmm. always do. He does a good job. He does a good job and he's a good uh <laughs> claims agent. Uh he does a good job. Good for what his he people. Does. And uh, he does a really good job for him. He goes that extra mile. So good deal. That all pays off. Helps a lot of veterans. So uh, I guess with that, John, this will be Gerald Cook and Jay Bassett. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bastard Show. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.